even my friends who who I would say, you know, I have a good relationship with them. We have, to an extent, achieved reconciliation. You know, we're not living in constant tension and anger with one another. But we're not done. The first thing that comes to my mind when I hear the word reconciliation is decolonization. I like actually using the word reconciliation. I think it includes uh, recognition of, of history and what has happened in the past, and it also includes looking forward to the future and how we can make things as good as possible. To step out of your comfort zone, to confront your unconscious bias and to enter into the world of the other. Hi, I'm Heather Peters, and this is Reconcile, Everyday Conversations, a podcast from Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. Virgin Root works and lives in the north-central neighborhood of Regina, where he directs outreach ministries at Healing Hearts, an MCC partner organization. He is involved in the community in many ways, as a pastor, prison chaplain, counselor, in gang exit work and community development through bicycle and woodworking shops. Spurgeon and his family have chosen to immerse themselves within the community where they work. In our conversations for this podcast, he highlighted this idea of choice within reconciliation. As always, I'm here with Joel, our podcast editor. What did you appreciate about Spurgeon's conversation? From Spurgeon's perspective, reconciliation is all about relationships, which makes sense given the context where he lives and works. But because he's involved in running organizations, He has also put a lot of thought into what institutionalizing reconciliation looks like. I think he has some helpful challenges for us to keep in mind when it comes to how we practice reconciliation within organizations, including the church. Spurgeon and his daughter Kezia came to our house this summer. We talked with both of them about five questions. How would you define reconciliation? What experiences have led you to this understanding? What is the role of grace within reconciliation? How would you invite people onto this journey? And finally, why is reconciliation important to you? We recorded some thoughts from both of them. Uh, my name is Spurgeon Root. I am from Regina, Saskatchewan. I'm the director of Outreach Ministries at Healing Hearts in Regina. Uh, and I'm involved with uh, directing the Regina Gang Exit Network as well. Healing Hearts was an inner city church plant uh, 25 years ago. And since that point, we have um, kind of morphed into a mission organization as well. So we now have staff uh, in multiple different locations primarily working with First Nations populations. I think in any situation, if you're looking at reconciliation, you're looking at a relationship that has been uh, compromised, broken. Uh, in some way, it's it's not 
it's certainly not ideal, uh, and it's not even um, functional, usually. If you're thinking about reconciliation, then it's a relationship that needs some work to be healthy, to be repaired. Um, and so that, that would be reconciliation in my mind is what is the work that is occurring uh, in order to get a relationship to a healthy point, uh, to a point where both sides are, are happy with the relationship. Um, and I guess that would be one of the defining features of reconciliation in my mind is that both sides um, of, of the relationship are in a, a place where they say this relationship works, I'm happy with it, um, we can continue forward in a relationship uh, because of the work we've done. Ideally, in my mind, reconciliation is always a spiritual activity and, and in a sense, the primary activity of God in creation as it is now. You know, creation is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. Um, and so, you know, the, the activity that God is involved in is reconciliation. So certainly as a Christian and as a pastor, um, reconciliation is then rooted in that. Um, it's not just a, um, a functional or pragmatic repair of relationships so that things work, but that uh, God desires reconciliation. That's his hope for the world. It's his hope for him and I. It's his hope for you and I. Uh, it's his hope for First Nations population and the settler population for, you know, so that, um, I guess, is how I would look at it, spiritually speaking. Uh, that being said, it's not exclusively a spiritual activity either, so... You know, as Christians, there are certain things that we look at and we say, well, God did that and I accept the gift. You know, we think about Christ on the cross and salvation and those things. Um, and certainly, yeah, okay, I didn't do anything to earn that. I can't facilitate that even. Um, now, that being said, of course, once I am saved, to use that language, like my life doesn't sort of end. I now live in that reality. So I would look at reconciliation that way as well. But certainly there are things that God has done in the realm of reconciliation that's like, well, that's his work. Uh, but it's a work that we participate in. It's something that I have to actively pursue versus something I just passively receive. I suppose when we look at uh, reconciliation in Canada and particularly now uh, with things like the TRC um, you know government being involved in things and those programs and policies and um, so in a sense on, on one hand those are kind of helpful in the sense that it, it gives us some guidance it gives us some some idea of, of have we arrived or not um, but at the same token even even if you can check everything off that doesn't necessarily mean that you've achieved reconciliation or that we're done or that um, like it's an ongoing process. So uh, even my friends who, who I would say, you know, I have a good relationship with them. We have 
to an extent achieved reconciliation you know we're not living in constant tension and anger with one another but we're not done you know that reconciliation is ongoing and will be forever you know as long as we're still around um and i suppose i think even intergenerationally right like i i enjoy it when my kids are sitting with my friends kids and they go this is you know it's still ongoing um and and will continue even after i've passed and my friend has passed and you know hopefully then the things that my kids and grandkids are addressing with their kids and grandkids aren't the same things um but it's going to be a while you know it's it's that ongoing never ending in a sense process I suppose it's the same challenge that you have when you formalize any relationship that the the requirements become sort of the defining feature rather than simply being in relationship with with people and I suppose the other thing is that there are going to be things that people look at and go well I can't do that or I won't do that or that's too much um, and then then you're sort of stuck well what does that mean and how do we reconcile if we can't do you know official policy um and the other problem i suppose is that you can get people that are just there you know they're checking off the boxes right and it's entirely possible to even check 97 boxes and still not be reconciled when you're done um you know and i think maybe worst case scenario uh, a formalized process can can act almost more like a wedge where you realize that um, you can't or won't um, meet the requirements or meet the the policy um, <clears throat> and then you're stuck with something that looks I suppose more like potentially a separation or a divorce right where you you end up at the point where well this is actually irreconcilable we can't um, bring these things together uh, and I suppose the benefit in a sense is that, that that formalization just brings it all out into the open right that you can sit and say things like well I'm not racist or I still love so and so or whatever until you actually have to start meeting certain requirements and then it's like oh actually <laughs> um you know, then it becomes a lot harder to to maintain a front if you won't actually do any of those things. Um, so there's there's some benefits, but there's definitely some some challenges and some risks, I suppose, in formalizing things and starting to tell people that they have to do it. Um, you really can't force reconciliation. Um, and as I said, even if you check mark all the boxes, that doesn't mean that you've really achieved anything. It just means that you can keep a list and meet the requirements at some level. But um, you know, if you think about couples counseling, that kind of thing can happen, right? Where both sides end up saying, "Well, here are the things that I want to see from you to prove, in a sense, that you love me or value me or whatever." Um, 
and I've, I've had it happen with couples, right? Where they come back a couple weeks later and both of them have like, well, here's the checklist and I did all the things that you wanted and they're actually more upset with each other because they realized in the doing of those things that, you know, there's, there's self-centered motivation in, in meeting the requirements, um, in, in checking off the, the list of things that are supposedly going to reconcile you. Um, and, and then you've got some other problems to try and sort out. Thinking particularly about, um, you know, the history of First Nations people in Canada and uh, the fact that they, they didn't have choices about who they could be in relationship with um, and frequently still don't, um, that, you know, you, you didn't get to pick the Indian agent that was assigned to your reserve. They've, uh, First Nations people have never got to pick the minister of First Nations or, or anybody else in government that, you know, has dictated things around, you know, government policy for First Nations people. Certainly if you look at you know, social workers, probation officers, the police officer who shows up at your door. Uh, none of those people do you pick. You know, I've had people who who were friends and have chosen, um, you know, to end the relationship or to, you know, um, to say, you know, we don't we don't want to have anything to do with you or or what you're doing. Um, and so that's a hard thing to to deal with and face and for my friends it was still important that they had that choice you know that they do not have to be in a relationship with me um and and so being able to pick and choose in a sense who you're going to be in a relationship with who you're going to work with and the things that you're going to work on uh, that's all part of the reconciliation process um and there's a writer, I wish I could remember her name now. She said something to the effect of, you know, if it if it feels good, you're probably not doing reconciliation well. Or, you know, if, if you're doing it well, it doesn't feel good. Or something to that effect. Um, and while I think long term, I certainly have some, think where I say, yeah, that, that feels good now. And I have a good relationship with this person now. But all of them have been difficult. Um... <clears throat> and and in each case, you know, my friends have, have had that option of ch choosing not to be in a relationship, and some of them have taken that. So, uh, yeah, I was doing a seminary class a long time ago, <laughs> uh, and read a book called "Restoring At-Risk Communities" by John Perkins, who started the Christian Community Development Association. Um, and that book was the one that led us to move into North Central Regina. Um, so the CCDA talks about uh, three R's. That's uh, relocation, redistribution, and reconciliation. Uh, and so reconciliation was kind of rooted right into um, so the concepts of community development as we started to move into this kind of work. So yeah, reconciliation has always been one of the sort of root values, I suppose, um, as we moved into uh, the, the inner city neighborhood of Regina that we live in, um, 
and looking at the people that were around us and, and the people in the community. Um, yeah, so that, that was kind of how it started. Uh, was with this idea of, of relocating into an inner city neighborhood to pursue reconciliation and, um, and, and other forms of community development. Well, day-to-day looks different <laughs> for me. Like, every day is a little bit different. Um, so sometimes I'm in meetings with other organizations and other groups, and we're talking about larger community kinds of issues and policy and those sorts of things. Um, sometimes it means I'm on a reserve attending a funeral, uh, whether I'm, I'm just there as a friend or whether I'm actively participating as clergy. Um hospital visitation I've done quite a bit of prison work um, so visiting people that are in prison um, heading up this gang exit network is, is part of that now you know, how, do we, how do we address the gang issues in our neighborhood and how do we uh, help people get out of that um, both for their own benefit and for the benefit of the larger community um, so those are all um, those are all facets of reconciliation in my mind so that's a challenging one I think for a lot of us coming from say a settler kind of background and mentality where we are tend to be quite sort of pragmatic in the things that we do Um, I mean I grew up with checklists I grew up with you know strategies to achieve goals uh, so f- for a lot of my friends, you know, if I showed up and said, here's this good thing I'm going to do for you and let's be reconciled and let's, you know, uh, there is some, uh, some hesitations, some cautions, you know, some, it's like we've heard this before and it's never worked. Right. So if you go in sort of doing that, um, you'd probably find some doors closing relatively quickly. So the challenge really is like, well, how do I get into a relationship with some First Nations people simply for the purpose of being in relationship and being friends and being and not having a lot of ulterior motives or any. Um, so I suppose on a really practical front, I mean, you, you can go to powwows, particularly the sort of the public ones that are, um, you know, go and go and get to know some people. Uh, there's actually a really great opportunity in Regina right now. There's uh, this Justice for Our Stolen Children camp, which is set up, and there's First Nations people just sitting there waiting to talk to white people. I mean, how easy is that? Um, other than the fact that it's not going to be easy because it's a difficult conversation. But, I mean, if you really wanted to get to know some First Nations people, they're sitting there waiting. <laughs> um so there's there's quite frequently opportunities like that where you can go you know, go to a powwow, go to one of these events, um, get to know someone, start talking to them, and and whatnot. Um, and once that happens, you can potentially either start getting invited to places or start asking if you can go to places. You know, like you get to know someone well enough, you could say, "Hey, can you take me to your reserve sometime?" Um, and, and if you've got a good relationship, that'll happen, right? Um, or you just start getting those invitations, right? Um, 
funerals are, this doesn't sound terrible, but great in the sense of you get to know people there, right? And when you're just there as a friend, just supporting someone, um, you know, that's okay. And, and it's a little different, certainly than my cultural background. Like I just didn't randomly go to the funerals of people that I didn't know because a friend of mine was a relative or something. But within First Nations culture, that uh, at least in my area seems to be fairly normal. Like nobody's sort of questioned, even if I've had a, you know, this distant cousin who's a friend of mine who knew someone who knew the deceased and it's like oh well of course you're here um so so getting into those kinds of relationships and then just sort of following where they go um, i guess would be my suggestion uh i guess just you know that we need to be prepared to be in this for the long haul you know i already said that even the relationships that I have that I would say are, are good and that we've achieved some level of reconciliation, that the reconciliation will be part of it until, you know, one of us isn't around anymore. Um, and that maybe is a little different too if you're coming more from that settler majority kind of a background where we have uh, agendas and frequently we have endpoints, right? We will be done this by August 13th of 2020. Um, and we can't really do that with reconciliation. There isn't an end date. There isn't a, even if we made a list with someone and said, okay, we will know when we have done these things that, you know, we're going to feel good about our relationship and we will feel that we're, you know, you're still not done. Um, so I suppose for some people that's probably disheartening because it's this never ending task um, on the other hand, it's hopefully takes some of the pressure off, right? Because there isn't, you know, well, you have to be done. Here's the deadline. And if you're not done by the deadline, well, no, there's no deadline. Just keep going. <laughs> My name is Kezia Root. I live in Regina, Saskatchewan, and I am 15 years old. Can you tell us about the neighborhood you live in? Um, some would say that it's not a great neighborhood. Um, there's quite a bit of gang violence and the crime rates are not the best, um, but I mean, it's home. How would you define reconciliation? I guess just kind of trying to make up for some of the past things that um, have been wronged, I guess, and, and trying to make them right. Um, and being respectful of these people's culture um, and not, I guess, taking it away from them more and, and respecting that this is their culture and, and it's not wrong just because it's different. Where do you see reconciliation in your life in Regina? Um, I guess I see it a lot in my school. Um, my elementary school was right in the heart of the neighborhood. So um, it was mostly First Nations um, kids there. Um, and all of the, or most of the teachers were um, of Caucasian descent. And so it's, it's really interesting to see how the teachers relate to the kids um, and how they're trying to bring learning about their culture into 
um, the classroom. And how will you work towards reconciliation in the future? I wouldn't mind um, learning more about how these people's culture, I guess, works and, and um, I would like to, in my future studies, do um, some First Nations studies and, and learn more about that without, I guess, being disrespectful and intruding, I guess. Talking with Kezia made me so happy and hopeful because at 15, she is already figuring out her place in reconciliation and feels ownership and responsibility in living this out. Yeah, I think it highlights the point that Spurgeon made about reconciliation being a never-ending journey, that this work is not only for us, but also for future generations. Actually, how he talked about reconciliation made me think of the treaties. Treaties were signed with an understanding that they were to be kept as long as the sun shines, the river flows, and the grass grows. Spurgeon mentioned the Justice for Our Stolen Children camp in our conversation. Unfortunately, the camp at the legislature has been taken down, but you can still follow the work this group is doing on their social media accounts on Facebook and Instagram. The word Spurgeon referenced, if it feels good, it probably isn't reconciliation, is paraphrased from Monique Giroux, assistant professor of Indigenous Studies at the University of Lethbridge, in an article from 2017 about the indigenization of universities. This article coincides with Spurgeon's thoughts on the institutionalization of reconciliation, and there is a link to it in the show notes. Other links you will find in the show notes are for the Christian Community Development Association and Healing Hearts Ministry. Healing Hearts has many opportunities to volunteer and to become involved in reconciliation. Spurgeon also mentioned attending powwows and other community events. A great place to find a calendar of events for the province is the Office of the Treaty Commission website, which we have mentioned in other episodes. Subscribe to our podcast to hear more conversations on reconciliation. This has been Reconcile, Everyday Conversations, a podcast for Mennonite Central Committee, Saskatchewan. Thank you for listening.